Welcome back to the Upon This Rock podcast. My name is Max Thomas. Thanks for checking out the pod today. Um, we are continuing our series on how to read the Bible. And um, this is, I, th- I think, probably the episode that I was most wanting to get to um, in this little series. And we're going to look specifically at um, some dynamics uh, in the Old Testament. And, and hopefully, uh, you, as you listen, you'll gain some tools on reading the Old Testament. And the reason I wanted to get here in this whole series is in my now decade or so of pastoring, in most people's um, walk with Jesus, most people's relationship with the Bible, maybe that'd be a better way to put it, there is no higher mountain to climb than trying to read and understand the Old Testament. Maybe the book of Revelation, that would be its only rival, you know, trying to understand the Old Testament and and the book of Revelation. And I've just had so many conversations over the years with people who uh, love Jesus, love the Bible, and put in serious time and effort, and they just can't seem to crack the code. They just can't seem uh, to get a grasp of it. It's When we're talking particularly here of the Old Testament, it's so big, it's got so many different books. It's got so many different authors. There's so many different events. There's so many different genres. There's um, so many um, kind of crazy stories. I mean, the, the Old Testament is it's untamed. It is a wild, uh, it's a wild story as a whole, and it contains these just completely ridiculous stories um, and poems, and it's just really hard to to grapple with. And, and I think First, we should just be honest that it's really hard to grapple with. And um, and I've wanted to hopefully begin throughout, this is I think episode four, if I'm remembering correctly, in this little series on how to read the Bible. And hopefully I've been laying some of the groundwork thus far about um, Jesus being the revelation of God, that as we read the scriptures, uh, Jesus is our guide, that he is the word of God to which the Bible points that what the Bible does is it faithfully leads us to Jesus. It brings us to Jesus. And he gives us this, uh, I think it was in the very first episode on this series, we looked at Luke 24, uh, the story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, that he he rebukes these two disciples and he says, uh, why are you surprised? Didn't all of the law and the prophets and the Psalms, which is shorthand for what we would call the the Old Testament in in Jewish um, as the in the Jewish tradition they organize the Old Testament in in three groups it's called the Tanakh you have the, the Torah uh, the prophets and the writings and um, the, that would be the law the prophets and the Psalms the Psalms was the the opening book of the writing so Jesus is in that is referring to the whole Old Testament he says why are you surprised? Didn't the law, the prophets, and the Psalms tell you that the the Messiah must be crucified uh, and rise again? And Jesus gives us this little clue in that, that that if we read the Old Testament, if we read it the way that it is meant to be read, the conclusion that we should come to before we even open the New Testament is that the, there need to be there needs to be a coming Messiah who will stand on behalf of Israel and the nations. He will suffer, die, be, be raised again, uh, and resurrected. This is, Jesus says, if you're reading it rightly, 
this is what you should expect. This is the conclusion. And so why are you surprised when I died? And why were you not hoping that I would rise again? Because the law and the prophets and the Psalms tell you that this is this is the conclusion that you should, you know, have come to. Now, the question that I think all of us need to wrestle with today is, uh, if you, when you read the Old Testament, when you read Ruth and Nahum and the Psalms and Ecclesiastes and Genesis and Exodus and all the rest, when you are trying to understand Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel, when you're done, if you were to sit down and read the whole Old Testament right now in this moment, would you finish Malachi, or if you're reading it in the Jewish order, would you finish Second Chronicles and come to the conclusion that there is going to be a Messiah who will stand in the place of Israel from the line of David, uh, who will suffer, die, and be resurrected to overcome sin and death? Is that the conclusion that you would get to uh, if you were to read the Old Testament, uh, most of us know, and I think we need to pause here for a second and realize, well, if Jesus is telling us that this is what we should end up with, if this is, if we read it rightly, this is the conclusion that we should uh, come to. And when we read it, we don't come to that conclusion. We should start to ask some questions, not about what the text says, but about how we are reading the text. And um, we get this interesting story in Luke, um, in the infancy narratives. We, we get this man named Simeon who, it says he's in the temple and he's waiting for the, the, the Messiah, for the consolation of Israel. And he had been studying the scriptures and you get another, uh, another prophetess named Anna. Same thing, they, they both see Jesus and the Spirit speaks to them and says, this is the one. And it seems like that these two characters are in line with what Luke finishes his gospel with. So he opens his gospel with these two people when no one else seems to understand what is going on. You get these two people, this this old woman and this old man who see the baby Jesus, and they understand who he is and what he is about to do. And then you get the whole gospel that unfolds. And then you get this story at the end of Luke where he's now talking to two different people, his own disciples, and they don't yet understand. What is it? How is it that Anna and Simeon understood at the beginning of the gospel what Jesus was about to do? And the two disciples at the end of Luke's gospel did not yet understand after everything happened. And the question, or and I think the answer is what Jesus tells the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. It's they were reading the scriptures in a particular way. That the story, one of the ways I think you can read Luke's gospel is through that lens. That the whole gospel of Luke is an instruction in how to read Israel's scriptures so that our eyes are opened just like those two disciples on the road to Emmaus and just like Anna and Simeon at the very beginning of the gospel. And that the whole, what Luke is trying to do is to open our eyes through the scriptures through Israel scriptures, through what we would call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. And the whole gospel is trying to get us to reread the Hebrew scriptures, reread the Old Testament so that our eyes are opened in the same way. And so I want to go now into the Old Testament and, and try to start to grapple with, okay, well, if 
Jesus is the Word of God. He's He's the one who we, we read from Him and we read for Him, um, and all of these things point to Him. How does the Old Testament actually work then, uh, e- even in its own, if I could say, structure, even in the way that it is uh, composed and written, uh, so that we can maybe get some new tools that as we read, maybe it will lead us to some new conclusions, and hopefully, uh, as we give ourselves time, we actually begin to see what the Old Testament is testifying to, which is what Jesus said is testifying of him, of his death, of his resurrection, of his victory over sin and death and the powers. And so I, what I thought would be helpful, rather than just giving uh, some general principles and all that kind of stuff, and there, there's tons of books written uh, about this stuff that you can that you can go check out, what I thought would be a little bit more, uh, a little bit more fun and maybe a little bit more interesting uh, would be just to give a, a few a few pointers, a few little principles, but then actually just spend most of the time walking through a couple of passages to see how they work, and um, maybe that'll kickstart uh, some ideas in your own head and get you to see how all this works. The, the, the name of the game, so we're going to be in the book of Genesis, by the way. Uh, the name of the game in the Old Testament uh, and the New Testament works the same way, um, and I kind of referenced it in the last episode with this idea of of hyperlinking, of referencing back. But really, in the Old Testament, the name of the game is not just hyperlinking, referencing something that previously happened. It's it's doing that hyperlinking through repetition. Repetition is the key word. If you can begin to see. And as you read, begin to see repetition, see the the creative ways in which the author is repeating something. Uh, it will open up worlds of possibility for you. And let me pause and just a quick aside here uh, before we we jump into some text in Genesis. The other thing that I would say here, just right up front, is however fast you are reading through a passage. And again, particularly, I think, in the Old Testament, it's too fast. You need to slow down. And if you think you are going slow enough to see all that's happening, you're still going too fast. There is so much going on in the Old Testament. There is so much craft going on and literary structure and design and purpose and intentionality. This is what we're going to talk about in one of the, the coming episodes is the actual... Uh, how the the Old Testament was actually uh, comprised and how it was structured together. But there is so much intentionality and care, and every detail is there for a reason. And and so you slow down, and if you think you're going slow enough, slow down about halfway more, and it's going to take time. It's going to be a slow process. You're going to, if you want to see what's there, if you want to see what is is there in the text in front of you. It's going to be a slow process. The Psalms, they open with this image. The, the Psalm Psalm 1 opens with this image of a tree, and it, the person who meditates day and night on the word, on the Torah, the law and the uh, the, the law and the prophets and the writings. That's the one that is like a tree that is planted that 
begins to grow and bear fruit and and um, whose leaf never withers and all of this kind of stuff. The, but the, the opening image of the Psalms is it's only those who spend the time and meditate. And that hopefully you don't hear that as a burden as, oh my gosh, this is, I'm going to have to just slog through this. No, no, no. It's in that process. It's in the, the hours. It's in the struggle. It's in the questions that Jesus actually meets us and talks to us and sanctifies us. It's not about coming to the right conclusion at the end and, and answers all of our questions. It's actually about the process. So I would say this, slow down. Uh, and then as you slow down and as you read carefully, as you read slowly, look for repetition. This could be repetition in names. This could be repetition in location. This could be repetition in word use. This could be repetition in metaphor. This could be repetition in characters. This could be repetition in whole stories. I mean, the whole book of Judges is this repetition of something bad happening, God raising up a judge, the nation turning, and then that judge dying, the nation going back into sin and rebellion, and it does it seven times. The whole the whole book is literally just one cycle of repetition, and every time around, things get a little bit worse and a little bit worse and a little bit more chaotic, and so, and so on and so forth. And so, it could the repetition could come in a, a variety of of ways, and what I would say is, the th- that if you're not sure of what to look out for, I would start in Genesis one through four. Those, the first four chapters of your Bible, familiarize yourself with that story because that is the most common story or uh, that is going to have elements of it repeated, is you're going to have characters that kind of are in the, the Adam uh, role, in the Eve role, and we're going to see some of this here in the example, some of the examples we go through. Uh, in the snake role, in the tree role. I mean, one I already referenced, where do we think that the, what tree is Psalm 1 most likely referencing that's by a river whose leaves never wither, who's always bearing fruit, all this kind of stuff. And then you get all the way to the book of Revelation. And what do you know? You get another tree by a river with fruit in all 12 seasons for the healing of the nations. This is So you have this tree image that's being reference in Genesis uh, 1 and 2, or well, I suppose Genesis 2, you get the tree of life. And then Psalm 1 opens, this person is like that tree, right? So it's borrowing from that image. In Revelation, uh, at the very end, Revelation 21, 22, you get another tree, right? Um, you get rivers going. Ezekiel has this vision of a river and it doing similar things. Revelation, again, picks up on that. So we're already off on the bunch here. You can see, okay, so you have these these themes, these ideas, these words uh, that get repeated. Again, it could be people, place. Um, uh, it could be an act. It could be a, just one word. But Genesis 1 through 4 in in the Old Testament is kind of the, the big word bank. It's not the only word bank. It's not the only imaginative uh, uh, bank of stories, but it is the main one. It is the one that is going to get repeated most often, or elements of it are going to get repeated uh, most often um, in the rest of the Old Testament. A lot of the, the tree imagery, river imagery, a lot of the paradise imagery, a lot of the temple imagery, 
Uh, I mean, we could do, and I've done a whole session on how the tabernacle and the temple, if you go read, you know, those really boring uh, chapter after chapter after chapter, like in the book of Exodus, where Moses is describing what the lampstand is like and what the curtains are like and what the skins are like. Uh, and you get that same thing in um, in uh, Samuel and in, in Chronicles. You get all of these this garden imagery of trees and almonds and flowers and um, it's all garden imagery because the temple and the tabernacle are literally being built af- as an image of the Garden of Eden, even down to the, the cherubim who are woven into the fabric of the, the tent that separates the Ark of the Covenant and so on and so forth. So there's Genesis 1 through 4 is going to be kind of the big, uh, the big word bank. So I would start there, familiarize yourself with that, and then read slowly. Start in the book of Genesis uh, and Exodus. I think those are um, the, be- the the two Old Testament books to to start with because you know if there's another story that's going to get repeated throughout the rest of the Old Testament, it's going to be the Exodus story. Those are the two big kind of narratives. So anyway, let, let's um, let's look at look at how this would uh, maybe and how this does not maybe how this does work in in the Old Testament. So. In Genesis 10, we get this strange, um, this strange story. Well, not really even story. It's called the Table of Nations, and what it really is, it's a, a series of of genealogies of three genealogies in particular: Noah's sons, uh, Japheth, Ham, and Shem, and all of the descendants that uh, go from uh, come from them, and. If you were to go out and, and start cross-referencing all of these, um, what you're finding is they are they are uh, the, the author is kind of populating the whole biblical world in the Old Testament with so all of the the Canaanites and the the Amorites and all of the ites that end up in the biblical story in the Old Testament they all have their origin here and so it's it's the the origin story of all of the nations. Uh, that are going to come, come into uh, into play, and there's one in particular that I'll I'll pay attention to, and this is uh, in the sons of Ham. Uh, there's a man named Nimrod. The Cush begot Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one in the earth. And he goes on to to say he built some cities, and lo and behold, and, and this is verse ten of Genesis ten. Uh, the beginning of his kingdom, of Nimrod's kingdom, was the city of Babel, or what we will call Babylon. It's the same city. And uh, does that ring a bell anywhere else later in the Old Testament? Does, uh, does Babylon come into play uh, anywhere else? Or the, the city, the, the kingdom of Assyria and the city of Nineveh, does that play a role Anywhere else uh, in the biblical story? Yeah, all like literally all over the place. I mean, those are the the main uh, bad guys in the Old Testament are going to be uh, Babylon and Assyria, um, and the city of the city of Babylon and the city of Nineveh. And so here's already we're we're beginning to again populate the the biblical world, and you're gonna you're starting to get some things uh, repeated. But he is building this city. Uh, and the, the city is Babylon. Now, if we were to go backwards to Genesis 4, because this is, in again, in the, uh, that's the, the beginning narrative, those first four chapters, 
And after Cain kills Abel, it says something very particular. It says that Cain built a city. So here is Nimrod being um, portrayed as kind of the the next Cain or the, a greater Cain because he's building greater kingdoms and, and um, bigger lands, and there lists a number of them here. Cain builds one city. Nimrod, who's, who's said to be mighty, uh, is building Babylon and Nineveh and the kingdom of Assyria and a bunch of other, other places. So here's where we're seeing the the characters uh, of this story come uh, come into play. Then we get down to um, an interesting thing in the genealogy of Shem. And Shem, if you were, he finishes here. He starts in verse 21, and then chapter 10 ends. And then we get to chapter 11, which is the Tower of Babel, or the Tower of Babylon. Hold your, your mind on Shem here for a second. Uh, but let's go to the Tower of, of Babylon. This is in the land of Shinar, which is was we were just told is Nimrod. And look what they come together and they come they come and say that let's come and build ourselves a city. Okay, we've already said that Nimrod was the builder of a city, Cain was the builder of a city. Hebrews is going to pick up on this and say Abraham, who's in the very next chapter, Genesis 12, was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. So here's one way that you can read the biblical story is you have Cain and Nimrod and uh, now these the nations coming together in Babylon to build their city to make their name great. And God is going to speak to Abraham uh, who was looking for a city who he did not build himself but who that God built with his own hands. Uh, and he will, we'll see here, make his name great. So there's Come, let us build ourselves a city, a tower whose top is in the heavens, literally whose head is in the heavens. And there's a whole whole interesting thing with, that goes on with that, but we don't have time to get there. Uh, let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. Few things. One, when we get to the very next chapter in Genesis 12, the, and we see this repeated again in Genesis 15, one of the promises that God is going to make Abraham is, I am going to make your name great. So here in Genesis 11, we have these nations making their name great or trying to make their name great. And the, the promise that God is going to give, the Abraham, give Abraham is the exact same thing. I'm going to give I'm going to make your name great. Again, so we have we have competing ways in which humans are trying to operate. Will we try to make a name for ourselves or will we allow God's blessing to do what he does and and not elevate us for our sake, but to showcase God's glory and God's ways on the earth? And this goes back all the way again to Genesis 1 through 4. If the if the the tree narrative is about anything, it's about who whose way are you going to follow? Are you going to uh, make wisdom? Uh, are you going to how would I say this? Uh, Adam and Eve were were faced with this choice of are we going to follow the ways of God and trust His blessing, or are we going to go our own way to make ourselves God and and uh, rule ourselves by our own? Wisdom. So you get this repeated idea 
uh, all the way through the, na- the, the narrative, uh, lest we be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Well, what is, what is Abraham's promise, again, in Genesis 12, Genesis 15? Uh, God says, I'm going to make your name great, and you're going to be the father of many nations, and you are, your seed is going to be across the whole earth. So again, we have these repeated ideas and phrases that are going to, to come uh, into play. Verse 5, it says, the Lord came down to look at the city. That's a direct reference back to the garden after Adam and Eve sinned. They took the fruit and they ate of it. And it says, and the Lord came down and walked in the cool of the day and said, Adam, where are you? Which also, by the way, gets repeated in the Cain and Abel story. The Cain comes down and says, uh, Cain, where is Abel? Uh, and so you can already see there's, there's all these hyperlinks, all this repetition. What it's doing um, is it's trying to what you do, okay, so what you would do then is you would say, okay, this I think is repeating this. What are the similarities between these, um, these repetitions and what are the differences? Um, what, what is the same between these things and what is different? And it's usually in those two things, in what two things are being directly correlated with each other in this, this repetition and then what two, th- what two or three things are different? Where is there a slight change in the story? And those two points where there's direct similarity and when there's actually slight difference, those are the two points where we, you uh, make a cup of coffee, sit down, or go for a long walk, and you think about what in the world is, is going on here. And we could take this story then into Acts 2, um, where all of the nations come back to one place, now the city of Jerusalem, and God comes down in the Spirit, and uh, now all of the, the nations who are scattered, who were scattered, speaking different languages, at the end of this, at the end of this story in Genesis 11, they now come back and they all hear the gospel as if they have one language, uh, and it's kind of the reversal of, of Babylon, so on and so forth. Okay, Shem. I said Shem, there is the genealogy of Shem uh, to end 10. And now look in 11, um, after the Tower of Babel story, you get the genealogy of Shem again. Now, why in the world do I need the same person's genealogy uh, like 20 verses apart from each other? I'm maybe not the greatest reader in the world, but I... I can remember like 20 verses, you know, I can remember like, hey, I just read this like 25 verses ago. Why am I being told this again? This is a great example of finding things that are the same uh, and, and different. And in those two places, the similarities and the differences, you actually find some meaning. So the similarity here would be, I'm being told Shem's genealogy two times in a very close proximity with this one story of the Tower of Babel sandwiched in between them and with Abraham right on the other side. So the, the, the order here makes, there's some logic to it of why, why these two genealogies are being put here. If you go through, I'm not going to read all the names because if you're not bored by now of talking about genealogies, I'm not going to read the genealogy for you. Uh, because that would bore than everybody. But if you go through the genealogies, you you end up 
along the same path, right? The same names are being repeated, which you would expect until you get to this fellow named Peleg, P-E-L-E-G. And then if you keep reading after Peleg, you actually see that the genealogies are different. In the Genesis 10 telling, once you get to uh, Peleg, you actually, the author kind of switches, um, and he says this, for Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided. Peleg's name literally means division. And his brother's name was Joktan. And then the rest of the genealogy follows his brother. So there's some division in the earth. Uh, maybe it's the Tower of Babel uh, itself. And then you get this division and it actually follows his brother. When you go to the Genesis 11 telling, it just keeps going on through. And you don't switch to his brother, and you end up at the very end in verse 26. You end up with Terah, who is the son or who is the father of Abraham. So in Genesis 10 and 11, you get two genealogies of Shem that that end up splitting at Peleg, who means division, and one leads to the building of Babylon, and the other one leads to Abraham, who's looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. And again, what that, that may just sound like, okay, great, cool. Who cares? The who cares is when we start to put all of these pieces together, you can start asking yourself questions like, well, where is this story leading? Uh, to Babylon, and where is this story leading through Abraham? And you begin to track those all through the Bible, and you end up with things like Jesus as the son of Abraham, Hebrews talking about build who's uh, Abraham looking for some for uh, looking for a city whose builder and maker was God, and the Book of Revelation where there's a city coming out of heaven. Uh, and there is Babylon, who's this kind of whore, prostitute, uh, evil city. And so you see this story. You see what what is a boring, dry genealogy ends up actually outlining really the rest of the biblical narrative. Humans who build and try and build a city and try and make a name for themselves, or those who trust in God's blessing to make them great and bring blessing to the whole earth, and which way are you going to do? And again, if we think about, if we bring the Hebrew scripture in, what is the difference between these two paths? Well, one, in the the um, the Babylon way, it's let us make a name for ourselves and build ourselves a tower, build ourselves this that goes up whose head is in the heavens, and Abraham is, so there's this active role. Let's come together and make it ourselves. And Abraham, it says, was just waiting. He was looking. He was not the one building. It was God, the one, it was the one who was building. Abraham had faith. That's why he's called the father of faith. So one way to live life is for us as, the, as people made in God's image is to try and work things out ourselves, be the the simple way to put it, or we can live a life of faith like Abraham and allow God to build what he is going to build 
in and through us, through us living by faith in Jesus. So here are the two ways of life. Will you build your own name or will you allow God to build what he is going to build in and through you? One is a life of pride and the other is a life of faith. One is you're trying to build up your own name to whose head is in the heavens and the other is saying there is already one who is ahead in the heavens and his name is Jesus and we are his body here on the earth and he is building his kingdom. So you can start to see all of the connections uh, that goes through this. So this is this is how the Old Testament works is points of repetition over and over and over. You could go into Abraham's life and you see he comes into the promised land in Genesis 12 and he actually just keeps moving it. He never really actually stops. The first place that he ends up uh, dwelling is actually in Egypt. And he uh, lies and cheats uh, in Egypt and he ends up taking um, uh, servants while he's down there, uh, mainly a woman named Hagar and he ends up abusing her. You could, it, the, the narrative is a little, uh, a little opaque, but it really seems like essentially rapes her um, and gets pregnant. And she gets pregnant and births uh, Ishmael. And lo and behold, what do we get in the book of Exodus? But now Abraham's descendants back in Egypt. This time, they are not the oppressors. They are the oppressed. And Hagar, it says, cried out to the Lord, and he heard our he heard her cry and showed up. He came down to her, again referencing back. Uh, and now it's Israel who is under bondage, who is crying out, and the Lord hears, and he comes down to Moses uh, in a burning bush. So it's again, it's the retelling of the same story. Uh, Adam and Eve they move east of Eden. Cain he continues to go east. Uh, once they get to the promised land, Lot and Abraham, they can't agree on who gets to live where because there's too many sheep and too many cattle and too much livestock. And so Lot says, it, it says Lot looks and he sees that eastward is like the Garden of Eden and like Egypt in its beauty and in its uh, prosperity. And so Lot moves eastward, continuing to go away from the presence of God and Lot ends up all the way in Sodom. It's just the same stories being retold from slightly different vantage points with different characters. And by doing that, the, the authors of the Old Testament are weaving a single tapestry, a single mosaic that if we can begin to put over time, this will take time. You're not going to do this in a week. If we can follow those threads and find the 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 patterns in which they are weaving, we can end up actually seeing what they're weaving. And that is there needs to be a Messiah who will come, who will die and resurrect and be ascended and who will forgive us our sins and deliver us from our exile and bring us back to the garden. Where is Jesus first shown? uh, Where does Jesus first show up in the gospel of John in a garden? And who does Mary think that he is? the gardener, because he is. He's bringing us all the way back, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. 
repetition. This is how the Old Testament works. Hopefully, hopefully, those few examples are helpful to, for you. Hopefully, you can sit down with your own Bible, slow down, begin to get a piece of paper out, get a pen out, get your laptop out, and just begin to, everything you notice, begin to write it down and begin to find those patterns of repetition, those characters, those places. Take time, follow the bunny trails, even if it leads seemingly to nowhere, you never know when that's going to come back around. So next episode, I want to look at uh, a little bit broader still on how the Bible is put together and how the Old Testament in particular is put together and what we mean by uh, inspiration uh, when we think when we say that the Bible is inspired. How does that actually work? And, uh, and then we'll go on from there. Thanks for checking out the pod, and we'll see you guys next time.